You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. It is Friday, November 20th, and uh, we are getting to searching the scriptures in the November issue of The Lutheran Witness today. Looking forward to uh, digging into that with Pastor Matthew Wood in just a moment. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin for supporting The Coffee Hour. You can find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live Uncommon. Joining us by phone this morning, Pastor Matthew Wood. He's shared with us the, uh, he, he's written the Searching the Scriptures for the last few months. This is, I believe, the third in his series in the Lutheran Witness. Pastor Wood, thanks so much for joining us on the Coffee Hour today. My pleasure. So tell us, uh, where are we headed this month in our Searching the Scriptures? Is there a particular theme we're looking at this month? <laughs> well, uh, the, the focus of the whole Lutheran Witness uh, for November is uh, our life together in communion, and in communion we receive uh, the blood of Christ. And so what I uh, thought would be good is to study the the role of blood in the Scriptures, particularly in uh, the Old Testament, and then how that blood is interpreted, uh, especially by the book of Hebrews. So we're going to be looking at the significance of uh, blood in our relationship with God, our Heavenly Father. I do have a lot of questions, but I think we're going to cover those in the next uh, couple of segments. So, <laughs> so let, let's dig in to uh, this study titled uh, Life is in the Blood in the Lutheran Witness. So we're going to start uh, at the beginning in Genesis. Um, question number one is read Genesis 3.21. What was required to cover the nakedness of Adam and Eve after they sinned? And what does this convey about the significance and consequence of sin? So, Pastor, could you read uh, Genesis 3.21 for us? Sure. Uh, Genesis 3.21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of sin, uh, garments of skins, and clothed them. So the, the, God gave everything to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And he said, everything is food for you except the the fruit of the tree of knowledge and good and evil don't eat from that the day that you eat of it you will surely die and we know the story the serpent came deceived eve adam was with her and they ate of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil and god came to them in the garden and he uh, disciplined them he he uh, cast them out of the garden. He uh, put the serpent under a curse. He promised a savior. And he relented from the threat that in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. But he clothed them with garments of skins, which did require a death. The, the skins of animals covered the shame and the nakedness of Adam and Eve. So even in this, this early first sin, it did cause death in the day that they, they sinned. But God, in his mercy, not only promised a Savior, but instead of Adam and Eve dying for their sin, these animals died, and their death, their skins, covered Adam and Eve. So from the very first 
the very first sin, we get a sense of substitution, a sense of an animal dying in place for Adam and Eve, for the human. Hmm. All right, question. Are we ready to go on to question two? I think so. Yeah. Exodus twelve thirteen, Exodus twenty four verse eight, and Leviticus seventeen eleven. What is the role of blood in these passages? Yeah. So as we read these passages, it, they're just quick snapshots of the role of blood in the life of Old Testament Israel throughout the Exodus. And so I'll just read Exodus twelve thirteen, and this is uh, the blood of the lamb from the Passover. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So God commanded Old Testament, uh, he commanded the Israelites in Egypt to sacrifice the Passover lamb and spread the blood on their doorframes. And the judgment of God was coming upon Egypt. And when God saw the blood of the Lamb, he knew when the angel of the Lord saw the blood of the Lamb, the angel of the Lord knew that this was a household of faith, and the blood of the sacrificial Lamb covered them. And so the angel of the Lord passed over and did not bring the judgment of the tenth plague, that is the death of the oldest son, upon them. So this blood of the sacrifice uh, and the faith in the promise attached to that blood, uh, saved the people from the judgment of God. And then we see in Exodus 24, this is a confirmation of the covenant God makes with Israel. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So the promises of God were attached to the blood even in the Old Testament, and that blood was applied to the people of Israel. He, he dipped a hyssop branch in the blood, and he, he, he sprinkled the people with the blood. And sometimes in our churches, we will do that with, uh, during a baptismal remembrance. We'll dip a, a branch or, or something in the water from the baptismal fountain, and we'll sprinkle people uh, uh, with the water uh, to remember that the promises of God are attached to that water and applied uh, to the people. And so that's what uh, the Lord is doing here in Exodus 24. And then again, we see it come up in Leviticus chapter 17, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. So here again, we have the picture of blood attached to the Old Testament sacrifices that uh, makes atonement or brings redemption, uh, covers the guilt and the shame of the people, but in the righteous judgment of God, uh, there has to be uh, some reminder of sin, some consequence but in God's mercy, he brings the consequence upon the animal, upon the sacrifice. And the people of the Old Testament are spared because the life, which is in the blood, uh, is 
substituted for theirs. So we, we see through the life of Old Testament Israel that there is death and blood between the people of God and the Heavenly Father. And, and that blood, God sees the blood, and he spares his people. So we'll dig into, we'll move on to Hebrews a little bit before the break. Uh, and then uh, there's, there's so many good things in Hebrews uh, once we come back. But let's, let's dig into Hebrews, question number three. Uh, read Hebrews 9, 16 to 22. What is required for the forgiveness of sins? All right. So the author of Hebrews is going to talk about uh, a will, like a last will and testament, sometimes we call it. And so I'll read it, and he's going to, uh, the, the blood activates the will, and the will, is, the will is activated by the death. All right, so I'll read Hebrews 9, 16 to 22. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And this this really violates our modern sensibilities, the idea of, uh, of, of the necessity of a sacrificial death, the necessity of real physical blood being applied. Often we are accused of of, uh, of being outdated, antiquated, and and that's just not how it's done anymore. That's not how people think anymore. But but it's clear from the Word of God that God's justice and God's mercy. God's love involve uh, the, the necessity to take sin seriously, and and the forgiveness of sins comes to us, but God also upholds His justice, and so He holds out before His people the severity of sin, even as He forgives the people. And so the people participate in the sacrificial system, and they see the necessity of death. And they see the life of this animal, this creature, pouring out from, from the body. And that life, which is in the blood, is applied to them. And we might not be able to make much sense of it. It might seem uh, barbaric to us. But this is the picture of, of God's justice, God taking seriously sin, but also bringing mercy and love to his people. 
We're taking a look at Searching the Scriptures in the November issue of The Lutheran Witness with Pastor Matthew Wood, looking at life in the blood. We have more to look at, including more text in Hebrews. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. Twenty twenty has already been a year of chaos. Now add in the end of the year chaos, duties, deadlines, regrets, plus the pre-Christmas chaos of ads, peer pressure, shopping, family gatherings, empty seats at the table. Who can bring calm to this chaos? Well, the true calm isn't that we'd all just get through it or even get along. The true calm is the peace of Jesus Christ, the peace that comes from his promises, the peace that comes from his forgiving blood, the peace that comes from a confident hope in the resurrection to eternal life for all who trust in him. Don't ride the wave of chaos to get to Christmas and the end of the year. Join the Christian church for Advent and find the calming peace of Christ in your church and home. For Advent, Family, Table Grace, and many other resources, check out lcms.org slash advent. That's lcms.org slash advent. And find the peace that this world cannot give. Welcome back to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. It is Friday, November 20th. We are searching the scriptures in the November issue of The Lutheran Witness with Pastor Matthew Wood. We're taking a look at uh, life in the blood. And so moving on to question four, read Hebrews chapter 10, verses one through four. Can the blood of bulls and goats take away sin? According to verse three, what did it accomplish? Pastor Wood? All right. We'll read Hebrews 10, one to four. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So I alluded to this uh, earlier as I was uh, going through the previous questions. But uh, verse 3 explicitly says, in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. As the animal is dying, the significance of sins is... uh, graphically uh, presented to the people. But these, these sacrifices don't make the people perfect. They don't make uh, the people uh, holy in the sense that is needed. For, for us uh, and for all people, this has always been the plan of God. It's not like the Old Testament sacrifices uh, failed, and then, Jesus, and then God sent Jesus as kind of a, a plan B or backup. No, the plan was always that these sacrifices would point forward to the one sacrifice that could actually take away sin and 
make perfect those who draw near. And so uh, the, the Old Testament people were continually reminded of sin, continually had to go back to that picture of the significance of sin with the death and the blood of animals. And when Christ came, he, in his death, in his spilling of blood, he became the perfect one-time sacrifice. There's a great uh, Lenten hymn, Not All the Blood of Beasts, that, that explains mm-hmm. this all that we're talking about yeah. right now. <laughs> Let's move on to question five. Uh, read Hebrews 9, 11 to 14, Hebrews 10, 11 to 14, and Colossians 1, 19 to 20. Whose blood truly takes away sin is anything more needed. There's also a note to see Luke 24, 48 to, 44 to 48, and a page in the Lutheran Study Bible to... Uh, 2117. Uh, let's dig into these these scripture passages, Pastor. All right. I'm just going to briefly explain the notes. See also Luke 24, 44 to 48. And at the Lutheran Bible study, page uh, 2117, that's a, a wonderful overview of uh, the blood. It's, a, it's an article titled A Blood Covering, and it does a, a really good job of of overviewing, kind of also what we're doing here, overviewing the reality uh, and the significance of blood uh, throughout the scriptures. And Luke 24, this is where Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room after he rises from the dead, and he opens their minds to understand the scriptures, and he reveals to them the ne- uh, how it was necessary for the Son of Man uh, to die and three days later rise. And then he explicitly says, uh, so that repentance for the forgiveness of sins may be proclaimed. And so that's one of my Luke 24, 44 to 48. I constantly refer to that passage because in Christ's own words, he says, all of this, the blood I spilled, uh, the whole Old Testament points to the proclamation of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, which uh, is also comes out in Hebrews 9, 11, 14. I'll read that real quick here. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So the blood of goats and bulls had the power to do what God intended it to do, remind the people of sin, keep the significance of sin in the forefront and the reality that uh, their relationship with God was entirely dependent on God's mercy, not requiring their death, but rather the death of an animal until Christ came. And now we see uh, in Christ, in his death and resurrection, in his spilling of blood, we see the life that actually has power to purify us. Christ's life, his flesh, his blood, there's so much power and and life in that blood 
It's not just a reminder. It's not just a picture of the significance of sin. It is the reality of sins being forgiven with the power of his blood. There's no more looking forward. There's no more pointing. This is the event. This is the blood that makes it all happen. This is the blood that secures us in the Heavenly Father's kingdom. All right, let me read Hebrews uh, Hebrews 10, 11 to 14 reiterates the same things. So I'm going to skip down to Colossians 1, 19 to 20. For in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And so that's Paul uh, proclaiming to the Colossians and also to us the reality that peace comes through the blood of Christ. And the blood of Christ, uh, we have the fullness of God being pleased to dwell in Christ through the, inter- through the incarnation. And by this holy blood, all things, he brings all things back uh, to himself. Are we ready to go on to the last <laughs> question, number six, Pastor? Sure. All right, we have fire hose study. <laughs> <laughs> we have about four and a half minutes here. Um, read Matthew twenty-six uh, verses twenty-seven and twenty-eight, and First Corinthians ten verse sixteen. How do Christians receive the blood of Christ today? What does it mean for you to receive and be marked with the blood of Christ? All right, so Matthew twenty-six. This is the institution of Holy Communion, recorded in the Gospel of Matthew on the night of the uh, uh, Lord's Supper, right before he was betrayed and, and uh, handed over to the religious leaders and, and crucified. And Jesus took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to the disciples, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now, in our LCMS tradition, when we hear these words spoken in worship, uh, this is, uh, we hear, we don't hear the word covenant, we hear the word testament, uh, but they they are synonyms in this sense. Testament, like the last will and testament, it's a promise. And covenants, when we talk about God making a covenant, it's not so much an agreement between two parties, but it's a promise that God brings us into. And so Jesus here declares that in this cup, this wine, is his blood of the covenant. It's the blood of the promise. It's the blood uh, with power and life. And it's poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And so when we eat and drink in Holy Communion, when we drink the blood, just like Old Testament Israel would be sprinkled with the blood, and they painted the blood over their door frames, and the angel of the Lord passed by them and had mercy. So now when we go to Holy Communion, and we together as the people of God drink from the cup of the covenant, we drink the blood of the covenant, we now are marked with the blood of Christ. 
the forgiveness of sins. The blood of Christ uh, enters us, marks us as God's children, and when God sees us, he sees the blood of Christ. Paul elaborates on this in 1 Corinthians 10. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? This is significant because Paul reminds us, he's reminding the first, uh, the, the Corinthians, and he's also reminding us that as we eat and drink in Holy Communion, this isn't merely a reminder. It's not merely something that uh, makes us look forward to Jesus. It's not merely something that holds a picture of the reality of sin in front of us, like the Old Testament sacrifices. No, this is a participation in the blood of Christ. We are united with the blood of Christ that gives life. And we're marked with the real physical blood, and God sees it when he sees us. And he sees the life of Christ, the righteousness of Christ, the obedience of Christ, when he sees us. So the Old Testament uh, sacrifices, uh, God would, would look at the Old Testament people, and he would see their faith, and he would have mercy on them. But that blood didn't make the people perfect. The blood of Christ is applied to us, and when God sees us, he sees the blood of Christ, and he sees his perfect, holy children waiting for the fulfillment of the kingdom when Christ comes again. Thanks be to God. Right on the mark, right, right on the second there. <laughs> Pastor Matthew Wood, thank you so much for your great uh, studies of God's Word, searching the scriptures in the November issue of the Lutheran Witness, Life in the Blood. Thank you so much for being our guest, Pastor Wood. As always, it is my pleasure. You've been listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support The Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Oh,